Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You could say anything to Courtney or, or Kim at this point. Um, what would you What would you say to them? Thanks for uh, destroying my family twice. Wow. Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry, actively tearing up in my right eye right now because I got some sunscreen in my eye just moments before recording. So I hope you guys are doing a little bit better than me, <laughs> looking like a literal Lauren Conrad meme without the uh, eyeliner. Okay, so hi, how are we doing? <laughs> I did a call to arms last week and I asked you guys what you wanted me to recap the this week or these Monday episodes moving forward. Did you want Roni? Did you want Beverly Hills? And thanks y'all did me basically no good because it was pretty much neck and neck both between Instagram and Twitter. So a couple of you guys reached out to ask me to just do both. As of recording now, I have not done the segments for either, so your guess is as good as mine as um, to what I'm going to come up with <laughs> later after I rewatch these episodes. I did think both were pretty interesting. I know you guys aren't really liking New York. I've seen a lot of people say that they're just like not feeling it this season. Disagree. Hard disagree. I understand. It's maybe not... It doesn't have... I think what people expect from Real Housewives of New York is wackiness and an adult in the room that's usually Bethany or, you know, there's like a balance of like extremely camp, wild, reckless behavior. And then somebody who's got it all together, who's being that peanut gallery and trying to bring... Sonia usually back down to earth, but we're not quite having that this season. And so I think maybe we just need to shift our expectations, guys. And you don't have to lower them, just shift them a little bit, you know, much like Sheree did to Kim Zolciak's wig outside of that restaurant with Lindsay Lohan's daddy. Remember, just shift them a little bit. So I think you might enjoy it a little bit more after that. And maybe this is like, me realizing that I do need to recap Rhodey so you guys can get on board with me. 
maybe we'll do that. So I'm thinking that I might do a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of New York and a little bit of Roni. So like two, maybe 30 minute recaps of each episode. I think that'll be cute. I think that'll be a cute idea. Um, let's talk about what's happening in the media. Once again, famously, I get on this microphone and I do my current events for Mondays and I always have this lingering thought in my mind that something big has happened and that I have completely forgotten about it and that I am like I have this like glaring pop culture emergency that has happened within the past week and I just have completely it's you know nothing up here nothing up here whatsoever um so I'm sure that's about to happen but before I get into current events, you can check me out on the Buy Pumpkin podcast um, free feed. I did an episode with Princess who did, um, she does seasons, y'all. If you guys don't listen to the podcast, which you absolutely should be, she goes back and watches, rewatches, and recaps those Yes, reality shows of yesteryear that are just like wild, you know, things that happened on VH1, um, you know, the Breaking Bonaducci, you know, Growing Up Gotti, uh, Flavor of Love. This season she's on My 600 Pound Life, and I believe I was the season finale episode in which we talked about cultural icon Stephen Asante. Um so check that out. Should be up as of you listening to me now. Uh, let's get into some news items. Unfortunately, you guys, it's pretty like Kardashian universe adjacent. I do recap the episode, the latest episode after this, but let's talk about what's happening in the news with them and maybe like one other person. First news item up on the docket is... My queen, Dorothy Wang, former cast member of Rich Kids of Beverly Hills, which I have to say, did not get nearly the credit that it deserved. It was a pretty good show. It was a an excellent show for E. I will say that. E for excellent on the E! Network. That show was everything. I think it got a really bad rap because they took over the like Rich Kids of Instagram thing which is like really disgusting what a time that was where just wealthy trust fund kids decided to take over social media specifically instagram to just show their family's wealth i'm sure they're still doing it but it used to be such much more of a thing and then we see the show which i thought was great dorothy's family the wang family has like for real fuck you we're really billionaires. We've been billionaires. We're doing very well for ourselves. Thank you very much. You really, Dorothy, shouldn't be on television because you're really that wealthy. Like, there's really no point in you doing this. And yet she did. And I thank you for, I thank her for it every day. That was a great show. We had EJ Johnson. Thank you. We had, um, Brendan, who's now with the agency doing big things over with Mauricio. Morgan Stewart, another icon, loved her relationship and her friendship with Dorothy. Um, Johnny, do you guys remember Johnny? The guy who, like, he was gay and he lost a bunch of weight and he was, like, deeply insecure. Almost like a Stephen McGee of Summer House. 
Like, Johnny walked so Steven could, you know, run into a pool and pee his pants because he's drank too many Twisted Teas. But, I mean, this show is worth it if only for the scene (laughs) where Johnny is sitting here having a conversation with Dorothy about how hard it is to be gay. And he looks Asian American Dorothy in her face and says, you will never know. what it's like to be an outsider or what it's like to be a minority and she looks back at him and is like excuse me (laughs) it's a moment and if only for that moment it was worth the entire four seasons of that show loved it now morgan's married to one of dr phil's sons the one with that hideous house that went viral that had all the all the the cause statues around oh I really would love to have that show back. I really would. Um, moving on. Wasn't there a Hasselhoff that was on that show? I think in the later seasons, one of David Hasselhoff's girls was on that show. <sighs> what a mess. What an absolute mess. And now, now are we, um, are they doing, bringing back the Bradshaw Bunch? Now you guys really think about how sad this is. The Bradshaw Bunch is about to be the anchor reality television show for E. Maybe... Maybe Total Bellas. Maybe Total Bellas and and Terry Bradshaw and his daughters. E, please cut me a check. I will do you guys such a big favor. And like you could only you only have to give me, um, you know, the amount of money that you give Kendall. I think she makes one of the least. Not Rob. I'm. I know my worth, you guys. I know that I'm worth more than Rob. But give me Kendall's salary. I'll I'll come up with something, you guys. I will do the damn thing. Anyway, um, let's get into the Kardashian universe drama of it all. Okay, so personally, you guys know, famously, I am extremely sexually attracted to Travis Barker, and I have been since probably 7th or 8th grade. Um, so this is like a longstanding thing for me. I haven't really spoken about this a lot on the podcast, but I've just been really going through it emotionally. It's just been a really difficult time of transition for me because I don't really know what to make of his relationship with Courtney. I don't get it. I can't wrap my mind around it. I see everybody openly standing this behavior She's got her eeks out on the Instagram. She's putting her, you know, his fingers in her mouth. And, you know, I, there's a little bit of me that wants to be happy for him because you should be happy for those who you truly love, right? To truly love someone is to know no bounds in terms of your selflessness. So I haven't really spoken much about how the other part of me just like hates it. I want to run and scream. I want to write letters to Congress to get them to stop. I'm almost thinking about writing a letter to Kim. I, you know, I don't know who I can sue. I just, it doesn't feel right to me. Okay. Just something doesn't feel right. Um, so where am I going with this? I'm, I'm in a whirlwind, in a glass case of emotions right now. Um, okay. So there have been a lot of things happening between, oh, this was my point. I watched Meet Meet the Barkers. I loved that show. I watched it religiously. And so I know, you know, from the show a good bit about 
Shanna and Travis's relationship. Another relationship that watching it, I just like, "Mm, I don't really feel good about this. There are parts of it that are horny. That's like maybe doing something for me there because like I'm seeing what life would be like if I were with Travis, but I'm saying too much. Um, They, I, I knew that this was a short lived flash in the pan relationship. They were trying to give us like Pam and Tommy, I think. And it just, you know, we all know what happened. So, because I've kind of known and, like, when I'm, it's too far, it's a a bridge too far to say that I've been keeping up with Shanna, but I keep up with Shanna in the same way that I keep up with, like, an Aubrey O'Day or, uh, that's really it. They're just in my categories of, like, two messy white women who like occasionally pop up and say something wild and then it's like okay back to my back to your regularly scheduled program right so I knew that years ago uh Shanna had been pretty public in her um feelings that the reason why she and Travis got divorced was because he was hooking up with Kim. Now their relationship was pretty rocky. They were on and off. They were, I think really married for maybe four years. And then there were a couple of reconciliations between them. I think that there might be one of those couples that were divorcing or on the rocks or estranged or whatever, longer than they were married. Um, but if she wants to say that that was the straw that broke the camel's back, then sure. I mean, we all know this stuff. Personally, I knew this stuff. She's been saying it for years. So it started coming back up in the news because as Travis and Courtney's relationship has been more and more public, Shanna has had more and more shady things to say about it. And I'm here for it. I am here for it. Expose the messiness of the drama. Just please do that for us. Like... Y'all know one of the things that I really, really hate is a celebrity breakup in which they wax so romantically about how they're best friends and how they just love each other so much and they respect each other and they're going to be great co-parents and they're going to remain close and be friends, but it just didn't work out for them romantically. Bullshit. Bullshit. That's why I loved the well I don't want to say I loved because it was actually really fucking sad but when John Mulaney announced his divorce his now or soon to be ex-wife came out with her statement that's like I'm really saddened to know that John is the one who's ending this relationship so thank you thank you like I know that fucking hurts but at least thank you for telling us the truth y'all aren't gonna be best friends He did you dirty and your heart is broken and you don't like it. And he broke up with you and you don't want it. You didn't want to break up with him. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. None of you guys are going to be friends. Don't lie to me. Okay. Um, so Shannon has been saying a lot of things and she re mentioned her, uh, statement that she made years ago about she caught Kim having a fr- uh, an affair with Travis. Not like she walked in on them, but there were. All- this was, I guess, before Keeping Up started. Their story, and by their story I mean Kim and Travis, is that they've always been friends. That Kim came to Travis about whether or not she should even do the show. And they've just been friendly ever since. And Shanna's part oh excuse me 
Travis also has a book and in his autobiography he, or his memoir said that he was really attracted to Kim, but she was Paris's closet org- organizer at the time. I think he was kind of hooking up with Paris or they had a thing or they were off. But basically he was like, you know, I was really always attracted to Kim, but it never went further than my attraction to her. Like I always treated her like a queen. And then I think he said something weird about like how it was like ironic how well he treated her or something. It was almost a little bit slut shaming. Maybe I'm just not getting his quote right, but it sounded like, Oh, you would think that I would have like turned her the fuck out, but I was actually quite the gentleman, you know, from to that, you know, celebrity sex tape star at the time, right? So anyway, um, somebody, according to Shanna, sent her a bunch of text messages that happened between um, Kim and Travis and that it confirmed everything she knew. They totally had a relationship. Like, she was exposed. Aubrey O'Day actually told this story not that she was, she wasn't trying to expose Kim and Travis, but she was just telling an anecdote about how she had spent this random 4th of July with Kim. And it was kind of like a weird celebrity, like we just happen to be famous, so we're hanging out sort of thing, but not that they were ever really friends. And so they just had this weird 24 hour, 48 hour time where they hung out and they weren't really friends like that. But she just mentioned anecdotally, just like passively, in that anecdote that at the time Kim was dating Travis. So that came up and resurfaced because uh, Aubrey said this a couple years ago. Um, people had their receipts that came back after Shanna had said what she said again. And so here we are. So from there, Alabama daughter, only daughter to Shanna and Travis, I shouldn't say only daughter because Shanna has a, another daughter with Oscar de la Hoya and it seems like Travis is very close with her and considers his own. So their only biological daughter um, came out with something that I found very odd. I don't want to recommend that you guys look into Alabama Barker because there's something very dark and like Lolita-esque that she's leaning into and it just really feels like... Um, she is not being monitored in the way that I would monitor, uh, my 14 year old daughter or however old she is. If she was on the internet, like just wouldn't be happening. It's kind of almost like a Willow Smith kind of vibe where she's hanging out with people who are a lot older than her. And I would say that her, um, a lot of her pictures are, they make me uncomfortable for a child her age, just the things that she wears and, and things like that. Um, you just, you know, we, we never know who's out there looking at us, you know? And so we, it's not to slut shame her at all. It's genuinely, she dresses very adult for a teenager and she's been dressing very adult for quite some time. So imagine if she's dressing adult now, imagine, um, an 11 year old Alabama Barker on Instagram. It was, um, it was weird. It was very uncomfortable, you guys. So, um, Anyway, she dropped some, she exposed a DM that her mom had sent her or somebody. It's like a DM that she got. And the DM, 
I'm just going to read it to you. So she posted, Alabama posted this on her Instagram story, a screenshot of a DM that Shanna sent somebody. So Shanna says in this DM, I've tried, nothing even happened, and then you can't see what it says because um, Alabama's username is blocking the second line, but then it goes on to say, Matthew, and the Matthew is uh, Shanna's now boyfriend, Matthew has been my rock. He's truly changed and has been amazing. When we went um, on a trip the other night, we were joking, but lots of inside jokes I don't think translated. I don't know what this means. But anyway, the point is, I left Travis because he was emotionally abusive. I left money and mansions for a reason. Family is all that matters, but I can't compete with kids whose father doesn't encourage relationships with their own mother and purposely tries to alienate them away. Travis controls Alabama's social media. However, I get blamed for her sexualization. How does a father allow her to act like that and do lives at 4 a.m. with men twice her age? I've been legally bullied out. I'm fed up and I'm exhausted. Social media and the media isn't real. I divorced Travis because I caught him having an affair with Kim. Now he's in love with her sister. It's all gross. I'm not the bad guy. Um, so I think this may have been like a, a Dumois um, post, but... Under here, Alabama captions it. Everybody thinks my mother is amazing. Matthew is nothing but awful to her. Not only that, but he cheats on her. My mom has never completely been in my life. Can you guys stop painting her out to be an amazing mom? Did your moms ask you to see you on Mother's Day? Because mine didn't. I'm done keeping a secret. Reality shows. So, I'm assuming what Alabama is trying to say is that... Shanna's trying to act like she's this long-suffering mother who's trying to be a good mom, but that Travis is using his fame and money and influence to pit his children against her and that they don't want to hang out with her, but that she is actually an absentee mother and that she sucks and whatever she says is a lie and her boyfriend that she says is so great is actually cheating on her. So, um, this is a situation where I think... Everybody has their points because when we saw them, when we watched them on um, their show, Travis and Shanna's show, Meet the Barkers, Shanna was, would be posted up in bed all day long, like not waking up until the afternoon, not really being that active of a parent to her young children at the time. And maybe this was, you know, a postpartum situation. I don't know. But it did not seem like she was a very active mother when we saw her on TV. So it's not too far-fetched to say that she's probably still not. Um, The kids have been living with Travis for quite some time. Um, I am sure that, you know, the fact that he is a wealthier parent is probably, you know, and he seems to be a little bit more hands-off. I've heard he's very nice, but he's just, like, very much a hands-off parent. He kind of, like, you know, like, they're my friends kind of vibe. Um, I'm also sure that, you know, the kids' feelings about their mom are valid. Valid. And that she probably isn't there. And it's also probably true that Travis probably doesn't do a whole lot to facilitate their relationship. Um... So when we see, I watched a clip of her on TMZ with her boyfriend, Matthew, and 
they ask her, why do you think this discord is happening between your kids and uh, yourself right now? And she says, well, I don't know, because I we just all had dinner with them three weeks ago. Now, granted, okay, they're 15 and 17, and maybe... I don't know. She tried to make it seem like, oh, we just saw them the other day, so I don't understand why something changed all of a sudden, but if you only saw, if you saw your kids three weeks ago and you live in the same town, that feels like quite a while to go without seeing your kids, right? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. And like I said, they are older now, so maybe that's not really that weird, but She, Shanna, is now claiming that the reason why she and the kids are on the outs with each other, estranged from each other, is not only because of Travis, but also because of Courtney. And that Courtney's been talking shit about her, saying negative things to the kids about her, that she's been buying them these expensive gifts. So basically, not only are they being influenced by their father and his fame and wealth, but they're also being influenced by Courtney and her wealth and fame. And that is why she isn't speaking to her kids. Uh, do I believe this? Um, yeah, (laughs) I do. I do believe this. At the end of that TMZ interview, they say, Oh, if you had anything you wanted to say to Kim and Courtney, what would you say? And she says, Well, my family's broken because of their family, and now my kids are alienated uh, from each other because of another sister in the family. Basically saying, this family was torn apart by Kim and the fact that Travis was fucking her, and now it's happening again because of uh, Courtney lying to my kids, so yay for me. (laughs) Woo! I love mess. I love it. I feel warm all over. All right, let's move on. Has Dorothy ever seen the show? I think like clips on TikTok. She right. sees like it's a popular TikTok where like they they do the crying scene uh, from the, the Bora Bora. Yeah. yeah. Are right. pretty much all my crying scenes. So she sees that stuff and she'll come in and yeah. go, Mom, I lost my hearing. My earring's gone. She'll, like, do that as a joke, and I'm just like, you have no idea what that is. All right, you guys, time for the Kardashian Corner. I actually thought this episode was pretty interesting, but you know what? If you're not into it and, you know, judging by the ratings, uh, many of you are not, um, I'll recap it for you. Let's talk about it. So, (laughs) one segment we don't even really need to get into was, like, Tristan has made it his... He's making a concerted effort to be like the world's biggest simp 2021. He is trying so hard to, I have to imagine, it feels, I hope, I hope that this is a decision that he and Chloe made prior to him deciding to be on the show basically as like a full-time or at least like a heavily featured supported cast member of the show this season because if this is just what he's like I feel like I said a couple weeks ago I would this behavior coming out of well none of Tristan's behavior is something that I would want in a partner but this behavior is almost worse (laughs) 
because he's annoying. He's just consistently annoying. I do not, don't try to impress me. Okay. Don't try to impress me in this way. I, I don't like it. He was being nice. It's just like, he is just really wants everybody to know that he is a nice guy and he really loves Chloe and he supports her. I don't care. You know what? I don't care. I don't care. And the more he simps for her, the less endearing I find this whole situation. Listen, I was really never going to ever support Chloe and Tristan ever, probably. But now I have no choice. My hands are tied. I don't like this. Okay. I've already spoken too long about this segment that I just said I wasn't going to talk about. So let me go ahead and move on. Um, the very first segment of the episode was... Okay, so Chloe's moving into a new house, right? And this is going to be her dream home, you know, building it from the ground up. Hooray for you. Congrats to the whole team, right? She's walking around the house. You know, it's like basically a construction site at this point, right? Showing Malika and pregnant Malika, Khadijah, around the house. And Malika turns to Chloe and says, this is your first home that you're building from the ground up. I have chills. Do you? <laughs> I am all for supporting your friends, especially if your friends, well, not especially, but even if your friends have, here's my thing. She's been a multimillionaire for how long? Forever. At least 15 years now. Um, are we getting chills over your friend reaching a level of wealth that like you'll never even hope to contain and I think Malika probably is a rich woman at this point doing something I I don't know Instagram surely she makes a good six figures off of Instagram every year I would have to imagine but I you have chills okay this is why Chloe keeps her around she is incredibly supportive there were two segments of the show, this particular episode, that I found really interesting, starting with the breaking of the fourth wall that Kim and Scott have as their storyline. So they're at one point talking about whatever. They're talking outside, and the kids, they're in the backyard. The kids are running in the background. And Kim mentions that they're probably just doing that because they know they're on camera, right? So... Then, um, Scott asks if North has ever seen Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and Kim's like, no, well, like, she's, I think she's seen clips of it, of me crying, or that, (laughs) first she says, I think she's seen clips of that one clip of me crying in Bora Bora, and probably all the times that I cried, um, but she's probably seen them on TikTok, and there have been times where she's, like, North has jokingly done the, oh, my earrings, I dropped my diamond earrings in the ocean, right? Um, love, love a good roast session from one Northwest, don't we? Uh, so, they talk, yeah, Scott is like, listen, obviously, at some point, these kids are gonna get older, they're gonna have access to the show they'll probably be curious so do we try to get ahead of this situation by showing it ourselves to them or do we just let them inevitably find it on the internet um 
as I'm sure Mason has probably done. So Kim's like, I think we should get ahead of the issue. I think we should um, be the ones to present them. <laughs> but at one point, Kim says, I just don't really want to explain to them who Chris Humphreys is. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, me too, girl. Me either. Me either. <laughs> how, do, how am I going to explain to my children who Chris Humphreys is, Kim? You can't do it. How am I supposed to do it? Thanks a lot. Um, Kim says in a confessional that she does with Scott that North has asked to see clips of it and the other kids have asked, but she just like doesn't think it's time yet. She's like, I'm going to have a lot of explaining to do. (laughs) And then she starts laughing. I really forget about that sex tape sometimes. And then I'm like, damn, bitch. Wow. Wow. Well, um, then Scott says, well, you weren't really bad on the show. The only person who was really bad on the show was me. And Kim was like, yeah, good point. You were. And then Scott says, I'm really going to have some explaining to do. And then they cut to that just infamous, uh, terrible episode where they're in Vegas and he gets shit faced and they don't show him shoving the money in that waiter's mouth but that was the same episode but they do show him getting into a wrestling match with Rob um so basically what happens after this oh Kim mentions that when they announced that they were going to end the show Courtney told her that she had a conversation with Mason about it and Mason was just like whatever didn't really care and then they bring up the irony of how little the kids really seem to care about the end of the show given that this is the only life they know is being in front of the cameras literally from the time that you know Courtney pulled them out of her vagina so Scott says something along the lines of it must be crazy to them. Like life must be crazy for these kids because they don't even realize it, but they're on the Truman show. (laughs) And that really hit different to hear. (laughs) Like it was such a meta conversation about like, damn, this really is like, imagine that being your entire life. And it's got to be different than being the kid of, like a teen mom child, you know, because these kids live in LA. These are a mega powerhouse family and the kids really don't know anything different. They don't know a life before this, before we do. It's very weird. That's weird. I wonder if they feel a sense of responsibility or is it kind of like a, you wait and see what happens with these kids and work on it at that time? I don't, that's weird. It's so weird to think about. Anyway, what happens? They end up going to make a list. The adults make a list of all the landmarks that they want to show the kids that were featured on the show, like the dash store and their old houses that they lived in. And so they... And by they, I mean Scott and Kim end up taking their kids to the condo that they lived in in the beginning of the show. Um, Scott lived there, Courtney and Chloe lived there at some point, and then she moved out before Mason was born. Um, so they give the, ki- uh, the kids a tour of this house. They're like, 
could not give less of a fuck. Truly. They're like, what is this? Did Lovey buy Rob a new townhouse? Is this Stormy's new treehouse? Like, what is this? I, what is a condo? <laughs> Where where's the staff kitchen? Where's the ex where's the refrigerator specifically just for beverages? Where Auntie Chloe's trademark uh, container store labels with uh fruit snacks in them? Excuse me, what is this? Poor? Poor. Um it's a gorgeous place, you guys. But you know what we're talking about. Um so they don't really give a fuck. Mason's trying to beat Rain's ass, who's like five or something. Um, Rain's trying to get the snacks out of the house, even though other people live there. <laughs> They're just some very interesting kids, those distant kids. I have questions, but not for today. For another day. For another day. Um, what happens after that? Oh, uh, that was basically it. The kids don't care, so Kim, Courtney, and... Scott end up showing them like an edited reel of all the scenes, all the cute kids scenes basically on the show. Great. Okay. So the real storyline, you guys, you know, I love chaos and negativity, violence, you know, violence, um, particularly when it comes to the Kardashians. So when one of the sisters makes another sister cry, it's sick to say, but that's really a real sweet spot for me. So this episode, needless to say, gave me everything. It's not quite the fight where Kim's KKW beauty body makeup ends up on a white wall that uh, Chloe has to like furiously try to clean. Um, but Courtney still cries and that's enough for me. I'm sick. Um, so it begins with a situation that happened a few weeks ago. So Kim and Courtney and Chloe are all sitting down. I think Courtney's having a salad. She's always having a salad. And Courtney said, did you talk to blank? The name is bleeped out. Um, this person is Kim's nanny. So she says, have you spoken to your nanny, Kim? Kim says, yes. And apparently what happened is they were in Idaho a few weeks ago I believe what Courtney said was that the nanny, Kim's nanny told Rain, her five-year-old, that if you keep talking in the car, you'll get arrested. So what I'm assuming is happening is that Rain was probably screaming. <laughs> the nanny had enough and was like, if you keep doing this, the police are going to come get you. This is what I'm assuming happened. But then... Courtney said something that I found very interesting. And as a child-free person, I just wonder, like, moms, let me know, is this, or child psychologist, I thought this was, like, a really interesting thing to say. So, Courtney continues by saying that, I guess, Rain felt some type of way about the nanny saying that to him. Fair. Um, he told his mom... And then Courtney says that Rain likes to know that I'm on his side so, and that I'm supporting him. So if he has an issue with anybody, be it his other siblings or whoever, he likes to tell me what happened and say, can you tell them this? Can you tell Penelope that this hurt my feelings or what? But she says that he likes, he prefers that she do it in front of him. 
I thought that was really an odd request for a five-year-old. And I feel like maybe I'm digging too deep here, but is that normal for your your five-year-old child to say that I want you to advocate for me in front of me? That just feels like very heavy, right? (laughs) that feels like a heavy thing to have your child ask you to do and I just would like to know more of why what that's coming from I find that very interesting so anyway what happens after that is I guess Courtney speaks to the nanny in a restaurant making sure that Rain can see that she's addressing this nanny over his hurt feelings so The nanny, I guess, cops an attitude. Courtney starts retelling what she said. And she uses kind of a black scent, which I don't love. Um, Courtney said that the nanny said, boy, you're a liar. But she's like, boy, you're a liar. And Kim agrees, like, yeah, she shouldn't have said that to Rain. Don't call a kid a liar. I agree with that. Kim was basically on kind of more on the nanny side but understanding where Courtney was coming from where her frustration was coming from etc Kim says that the nanny was really upset by what Courtney said that Courtney had shushed her and told her not to raise her voice and I guess she was just really embarrassed she told Kim that she felt degraded and she thought that Kim was gonna fire her and Kim told her not gonna happen I like you I like my kids my kids like you, like, I'm going to keep you employed. Courtney says that's totally fine, but she can't be anywhere near my kids. And Kim then says, well, I like to keep the people that I hire. I like to keep them for a long time. Unlike you, who is constantly degrading your staff and you can't even keep a nanny. Now, is it worth mentioning that there's an argument to be made about how this is an incredibly out of touch conversation for most people, right? But if we're going to mention it, mention it all. Like if we're going to have these shows like Kardashians or Housewives in which we know that these people are wealthy, we know that this is, they live very different lives from us. That's most of the reason why we're watching the show is because they're completely out of touch. It's We've got this weird thing about how celebrities almost have to walk on eggshells when it comes to not being too out of touch um, in the way that they communicate with things. Like, I dare, you know, I know we're on, like, fuck Chrissy Teigen forever mode now, and so I don't really want to invoke her name. However, there was one instance which she went viral. People went the fuck off on her. Because she tweeted something like, hey, what is the craziest thing or the most expensive thing you had to buy at a, something like the craziest thing that happened to you at a restaurant. And then she told this story, this anecdote about how she, the wait, their waiter, they were at a restaurant. She and John were at a restaurant. The waiter uh, suggested a wine and it ended up being like a couple thousand dollar bottle of wine or however much. It was like a lot of money, right? And she was like, we were shocked. Thank God we could afford to pay for it. But we were like, damn, 
don't you feel like you should have mentioned that this bottle was like $2,000 or whatever? And then people went off on her for being able to afford the bottle of wine. Like, I don't know what they wanted from her. I feel like people thought in that moment that she was being really out of touch and like she was, but I don't think she was being malicious because she literally mentioned in the tweet, like, thank God we were able to afford something like that. Um, But people really went off on her like, oh, at a time like this, and she didn't even mention that it happened during the pandemic. She just mentioned it during the pandemic. It was just very strange to me. And I don't know. It's just like we have this just like we're I don't know. We're in this weird place where wealthy people aren't supposed to mention things that bring up their obvious wealth, even though we know that they're wealthy. So like, this is a conversation that I like to have. Like, talk about, talk about how you can't keep, um, a nanny. Let's talk about it. I want to see these two wealthy white women fight about their staff. I do. And does that make me a monster? Yeah. Yeah. But it's the truth. (laughs) So let's just talk about it. Right. So, yeah, let's let's just mention it all. So then what happens is that Courtney gets up from the table and she is like, how dare you say that to me, Kim? You need to look in the mirror. And Kim says, I do. I already do every five minutes. <laughs> Iconic. Um, so Chloe goes to find Courtney. Courtney's crying in the bathroom. Um... Kim, before Chloe goes to find Courtney, tells Chloe, listen, I agree with Courtney. I agree with my nanny. But here's the truth. She can't keep her staff. She is degrading to people. She needs to understand that the way she communicates with people, especially with uh, your employees, is really fucked up. And, you know, (laughs) she just chose this opportunity to let her big sister know how she felt. And I loved it. Thank you. I loved it. Um, they, so Courtney and, and Chloe are talking and Kim, excuse me, Courtney is going off about how we, our family just gets so mean with each other and, and everybody cuts so deep, even though like two minutes later, she admits that basically she is the one who is the queen of it all and has been nasty up until like two years ago. And has been the leader of just like cutting really deep and being mean to her own family members. But now that it's happening to her, she doesn't like it and she doesn't want to give her time and waste her energy on that. And that's just not the space that she wants to be in and blah, blah, blah. And that's great that you like, don't want to be negative anymore, but you can't create a monster and then, you know, cry into a frite bath towel about how life isn't fair for you. You know, (laughs) Anyway, um, they end up having a, what I would call like a ceasefire, not really necessarily, uh, necessarily an apology situation happening because Kim goes over to Courtney's place and she says, Hey, I just want to let you know, I don't disagree with the reasons why you're upset with my nanny. I don't disagree with why the reasons why my nanny's upset with you, but I will let you know that... That probably wasn't the right time to tell you. Or she didn't say that. She, 
I think she lied, really. I think they were both kind of lying to each other in that way that sometimes people just do because they really just want to get over the situation and they just, like, don't feel like being mad about it anymore. So they just, like, let things go, right? And maybe you lie a little and say, yeah, I feel sorry about this thing that I'm actually not sorry for. Um, So Kim, Courtney says something like, I feel like we say things... Just to be mean to each other. So were you saying that I'm... Do you really feel like I'm actually degrading to my staff? Or do you feel like uh, you were just saying that to be mean? And Kim says, I was just saying that to be mean. But here's the thing, you guys. (laughs) It is very widely known, to me anyway, that Courtney is horrible to her staff. And that she is... uh, Can't keep her staff... Because she can't stay employed. It's, I think it's kind of like an Ellen situation. She's nasty. She's rude. She's lazy. She doesn't do anything but look at her phone all day. And she just sucks. Low key. Apparently none of the Kardashians really pay that well. So there's another little nugget of information for you guys. Um... So they, Kim says, oh, you know, I was just saying that to be mean to you, but I don't think she really was. They all, they both decide that all roads lead back to Chris, that she's the monster who started this whole thing of negativity. And so, and then here's where they get super lame. And this is like the other side of relatability is that Kim, Chloe, Courtney, and Chris all get together and they decide to, um, have a negativity tip jar in which whenever they're around each other and one is negative to the other, they have to put a dollar in the jar. And whoever has the least amount of names attached to dollars gets the contents of the jar. Now you're telling me (laughs) that that you're probably putting money into a, a Baccarat jar that's probably worth more money than the money you know, the $85 that are going to fit into that jar anyway. (laughs) Like, is that really going to motivate you? Uh, People who are probably collectively worth over a billion and a half dollars that you want $85 in a jar. Is that really going to motivate you? Come on. (laughs) That's not even enough money for you to get one hand of a manicure every week. Get, Get real. What are we, what are we doing here? A a negativity jar, please. All right, that's the end of the Kardashian corner for this week. Let's move on. I also want to mention that Kendall Jenner has stepped in it once again. She's off the battle lines of giving people Pepsi while they're protesting for Black Lives Matter. And now she has stepped into... (laughs) Just an absolute nightmare of appropriating Mexican culture with her 818 tequila line. Now, um, there are people, specifically Mexican people, who have done the work of explaining why what Kendall is doing is appropriation, um, comparing what she has done with her tequila line versus The Rock and um, his appreciation of Mexican culture. And I think that is all very educational. You can see, I posted a couple of videos on my Instagram at everyone's business, but mine, but in the description of 
this episode. I will also post a link to a Twitter thread of somebody who did a lot of great work and research about Kendall just being an absolute flop. I hope you guys all saw that TikTok video (laughs) of the um, Latinx lady who was like, okay, if you guys are on, um, excuse me, if you're not on Kendall's uh, strategy team, don't watch this. But if you are, like, y'all can just quit because clearly you hate her if you're letting her be out here in these streets playing the fuck out of herself time and time again and she's just laughing and then I'm laughing and it was just a jolly good time um so yeah I you guys check that in the episode description (sighs) oh also you guys (laughs) um check on the Instagram of Mariah Smith she does the keeping up with the continuity or she used to um um for the cut she is at mariah 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 you can find her on instagram she's been on the show before um really funny she does a whole 43 minute <laughs> tasting of the 818 tequila line it is so funny and i loved oh, so every I minute Okay, let's talk about Real Housewives of New York, you guys. And again, it makes me very sad that generally it seems like the Bravo fans are turning against the season. It really makes me sad. It makes me sad for Ebony. And gosh, you guys, this episode was dark. It was dark. I I don't think I've given an official ranking of my top housewives because it's just such a complicated thing you know I think we're all working on a different algorithm of what makes a good housewife and if I had to describe like a housewife that I actually genuinely think is a good person Sonia would be on that top five list and so it's very dark and it's very sad to see her continue to struggle with the fact that she no longer has the life that she used to have. This always brings up a wave of what exactly happened between one Sonia and Mr. Morgan. And there have been varying reports. She always likes to paint it as though this was the marriage was not something she chose to leave as though they had this great love affair and she just you know wonders if she should have continued to stay in that for the sake of Quincy or what have you then there have also been the other stories of I think the prevailing rumor is that Sonia in fact is the excuse me, is the um, cause for the divorce because Sonia was gallivanting around Europe. Um, John, I think his name is John, got sick, called Sonia to come and help him. And she refused to, you know, get off the yacht, get off the Morgan yacht or what have you. The Nigerian soccer team, maybe she was hanging out with them. Who's to say? Um, But the prevailing rumor is that she chose not to stand by her man in a moment where 
he was not feeling well and that was the cause for the divorce. So I, I, I really feel for her. I think it's hard for us to conceptualize the life that Sonia had. <laughs> well, is it hard for us to conceptualize? Because she talks about it in great detail all the time. But okay, here's another thing is that I heard is that like that Morgan, her husband Morgan, is not like, it's kind of like a Rick Hilton situation in that they're not the wealthiest Morgans or the most high profile Morgans, but you still got the name. Of course, there's still money there, but not money like the more, you know, quote unquote, upper echelon Morgans, right? So he was like maybe a third tier Morgan. So I think his family owned the house in France that Sonia ended up getting. And I think that was sort of one of the Morgan clan's crown jewels. Um, but other than that, I think that they were kind of like, yeah, not, not the top 1% of the 1% Morgans, but still also very doing very well for themselves. So it, I think it's hard for us to conceptualize the life that Sonia had with Morgan, John Morgan, and the life she has now, and how difficult it is for her to give that up. I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be. And I'm also simultaneously watching, I just finished season, a season five rewatch where Sonia's just gone to the uh, lawyers and she has a very heartbreaking scene where, a couple of scenes where she is getting ready to go to the lawyers. She's hyper-focused on how she looks and how she's going to dress and an anticipation of seeing John. And then we find out afterwards that they never saw each other. They never ran into each other. They were negotiating in two different rooms. And she felt like John had really failed her, that he did not promise her the thing, or he did not deliver on the things that he promised her verbally. And then during the reunion, she says that, oh, he is starting to talk to me. So it felt like she felt as though John had owed her a lot of things. He had um, promised to take care of not only Quincy, but also her. And that just did not come to be. So she saddled with all of that debt from the movie that was it a John Travolta movie that she was going to do that never got off. And then she had that house and the house has really been like uh like an albatross for her this entire time and so it's hard to see i i think people a lot of people make jokes about sonia and why she can't let go or why can't she let go and i think like imagine being in that townhouse really is like a like a golden cage for her. Like part of her wants to keep it because it's part of the life she once lived, but she's probably been scraping by this entire time. And there are definitely times where things were better for her financially from being on the show years where things were better for her. And we've seen what she's like when things are financially smoother for her. But now losing the century 21 has gone back to like a season like Sonia's maybe first or second season where she's spiraling and it's very dark. It's really, really dark to see. So 
this is a, all happens at the end of the episode. So why am I going off on it now when I know I'm going to have to talk about it again, Kara? I don't know. So let's talk about the beginning of the episode. <laughs> um, the girls are waking up from their Burning Man party. Ebony has a conversation with Luann about why Sonia, previously referring to her staff as the help, rubbed her the wrong way. So her grandmother, who she has admitted is one of only two members of her family that she has left, and her grandmother's not doing well health-wise, um, she talks about how her grandmother was a domestic worker and how it just has bad racial tones and she mentions the fact of like it's a good thing that Michelle Sonia's employee was white because had she said that to a black person or a black person in her employ this would be uh we would be having a much different conversation but I still rubs me the wrong way historically referring to people as the help has excuse me negative connotations and I just want to be able to have this conversation to bring Ramona to the red table, if you will. Why, during this conversation, were was Luann holding Ebony's hand as if this was an episode of Iyanla Fix My Life? <laughs> the way that these women are just, like, terrified. Not of... Ebony. I think they all genuinely like Ebony, but there's also the second under, not really spoken about level for, I don't know if like white people are catching on to this, but I know the women of color and the black women are catching on to this. Like just clearly Ramona is number one to a second degree. I, I would say Luann is second are deeply concerned about being overly friendly towards uh, Ramona, or excuse me, about Ebony, and want to let everybody know that they like her. You know, <laughs> an, an act that you really shouldn't be as concerned about if you have black friends and you know how to navigate black people. Spoiler alert, we're humans and you can treat us like, you know, for the most part, you can treat us just like your white friends because we're also humans just like them. They are so terrified and it's funny to watch, especially Ramona. Watching Ramona, like, asking um, Ebony what she's drinking and drinking the French 75 with her and then asking her, oh, Ebony, what's going to be your second drink? Like, it, it's just so, <laughs> it's hilarious to me. So Sonia starts riding the wave of being off the rails pretty early in the episode. And what seems to trigger her the most is Garth. Garth, the South African man who has swept Luann off of her size 12 feet, really seems to be upsetting for... Sonia and the women can't figure out, is it the fact that... Ramona, excuse me, that Luann's in a relationship. It, it can't possibly be this specific man because nobody's met him yet. So is it Luann being happy in a relationship or is it that she feels like she has an ally in Luann and that Garth and all the talk about Garth, which is on a Sheena level, to be fair, 
is that what up, what's upsetting to her? We never find out, but it's a fun, well, it, it it's not fun. <laughs> it, it's a dark descent into how upsetting this man appears to make Sonia the entire episode. And I gotta say, like, it, I... <laughs> The name Garth doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue very well. And so I would probably not, I would probably want to cap the conversations about this man at like two, two a day, I would say. But the ladies are going to be seeing him the following day because he's some level of exercise, physical trainer, personal trainer. And so they're going to be doing a class with him. Sonia does, however, bring up a great point of why are we continuing to talk about this guy who's not going to be around much longer anyway? (laughs) Fair. (laughs) We all know that to be true, and that is a fair question. The girls are on a sprinter on the way to a winery that Luann suggested, and Ebony, I gotta say, she drops gems every single episode. She's talking about don't get with the players, you need to get with the bosses. And in this episode, she gives us another gem, which is the ladies are having a conversation about nudes, sending nudes, how Pita Chip had sent Leah's nude to another person, but she found out because he accidentally sent it to her, which I think is awful. That is egregious don't be sending out nudes of other people to other people like ew that's reason enough and we've all seen that picture of of what pita chip allegedly looks like although there was a rumor that maybe she's actually throwing people off the scent and dating somebody famous like a famous actor and i cannot think of what his name is let me let me look and see if i can find it I can't find who that actor was, but she was, people were claiming that this pita chip guy is actually like throwing off the scent for somebody who's actually much more famous, but I can't remember who it was. But, um, regardless, Luann starts talking about how women sending nudes is something that she's never done. And then Ebony says that she doesn't even send men that she's talking to pictures of her own face. And she was dead serious. And I love that. I love that. There was a tweet that went viral maybe a couple weeks ago of a guy (laughs) who had just proposed to his girlfriend and the caption said something along the lines of now that I put a ring on it or now that we're officially engaged, she said I could post a picture of her. And I said that's some queen shit. (laughs) That is some queen shit. Keep your face off the grid. Keep your face off the timeline until he shows a true commitment queen a real commitment, and then he can claim you. I, y'all, that is the energy I'm keeping from 2021 on, okay? Until Chris Evans puts three, at least three carrots of a solitaire on my ring, you will not see me on his social media. And that's why, that's why you haven't seen me, okay? We're in a relationship. Please don't tell his lawyers that I do not need a restraining order. I need Ebony to write the book, drop the pre-sale link, Queen, let us know. I'm hitting by immediately. Um, So then the girls go to this winery that Lou picked out. Lou, who is 
has like a month sober at this point. And they're having flights of rosé, the ones, you know, that are not sober. And Ebony brings up to Ramona how she felt about calling her staff to help. And they have a come to Jesus moment. They talk about why it upset her. And Ramona is really struggling to not do what Ramona typically does, which is blink very fast and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. And try to weasel her way out of this. But she accepts it because <laughs> I she does she doesn't want to appear like she's not accepting something from Ebony. Let, let's be real here. That is the only reason why this conversation is going well. <laughs> sure, it is definitely helping that Ebony is coming at her um, kindly, but many people have come to Ramona in a very kind and rational manner, and we've all seen how that has gone before. So let's just call that what it is. Um, but the conversation does end up being really productive or, you know, Ramona's version of productive and positive and Ramona says in a confessional I was grateful to Ebony for approaching me in the way that she did and then Leah decides that she has something to say and she wants to confront Ramona about whether or not she actually donated her plasma when she found out she tested positive for the COVID antibodies so Ebony wants to hear the story because she's unfamiliar and Ramona tells it in a very different way of like, oh, I was in Boca with my ex-husband and with Avery. Um, the tennis club was about to open up. They were offering antibody testing. So I just decided on a whim to get it done. Turns out I had very strong antibodies. So did Avery. From there, we donated our plasma. So Leah gets her ass. She pins her she pins her down and is making some very great points about she was being very clever. Okay. Because apparently, you know, to donate plasma, you have to go through several sessions. They have to take your blood out. They have to clean the blood. They put it back in. You know, this is not just a one time situation. So she starts off by saying, yeah, we gave her blood once. And Leah says, oh, that's not how it works. That's not how plasma donation works, first of all. So you didn't donate your plasma. Just admit it. Just tell us all that you didn't do it. Ramona will not do it. She is blinking so hard <laughs> to try and get out of this, to weasel her way out of this. And she kind of admits that she didn't really give her plasma and then she goes back and then she like doubles down on her claims that she did and then she tries to play it cool and say okay Leah whatever you say if you don't want to believe me fine then okay I didn't do it then fine I'm not gonna um continue having this conversation and then just a classic <laughs> a classic Ramona thing that I am going to steal she eventually tells Leah you know I just, I already gave my statement to the press. So whatever I said to the press is the truth. Okay. <laughs> the delusions, the absolute delusions. I really can't stand Ramona. I, I really feel very strongly about that. But every once in a while, like I, I gave my statement to the press, to a person who's supposed to be your friend. That is fucking funny. Of course, we know any sort of disturbance in the forest with Ramona um, 
you know, comes out in her bowel movements. And so she goes to the winery bathroom and blows it all up. Luann's trying to find her. She's like, please don't talk to me. I'm having a moment right now. I, I can't, I can't do this. Why? I, I said this last season that Ramona really needs to get in touch with a gastroenterologist. Like, aren't one of her 50 girlfriends, do they not have either themselves or a husband or somebody that they know who might be able to figure out what's happening down there, down there. Leah might be right that this might be the reason why she can't keep a man and how she actually shot the bed one time when she was in the, you know, in the midst of a lovemaking session with a man. And I'm just very concerned. Like what is happening there? Leah brought up a great point of you might have IBS, ma'am. You don't need to be slurping down oysters and drinking rosé by, you know, the Magnum. <laughs> might not. This might not be the journey you want, ma'am. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we all know, when it comes to everyone's business, I like to mention it all, but when it comes to mine, I like to keep things a little bit closer to the chest. But that method doesn't always work when it comes to your mental health, and we all need a way to purge and get it out. Therapy is a safe space to do that and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down by learning positive coping skills and all the tools you need to help you be the best version of yourself. BetterHelp is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So you can just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash everyone's business today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash everyone's business. Ebony and Sonia bring up a great point to Leah of the way you're approaching Ramona is never going to work. You're not going to get what you want. She basically just admitted in so many words or so many not words that she was lying. So just let it go. Let the mouse go. Let her. She's clearly embarrassed about it. She doesn't want to talk about this on camera. She's not going to admit it. Let it go. Let it go. And I think this is one of the reasons why people are having an issue with this season is that Leah is like a dog with a bone situation and she's not letting go of things. And I think she's trying to maybe pick up where she's almost like a mix of Bethany and Dorinda in which I think 
Do we think that Bethany would have been able to get the truth out of Ramona? I think more than Leah was able to because Ramona has an inherent respect for Bethany that she will never have for Leah. But then there's also this like, I don't want to say nastiness, but this like, just won't let it go aspect that is uh, common to both Bethany and Dorinda. And I think people, it's rubbing people the wrong way. You know what I mean? I, I think people aren't liking that. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. But I think I know Ebony and Sonia were correct. Like, you're not getting anywhere. You've been trying for the past 10 minutes. She won't give it up. So move on. Move on. Sonia, at this point, this is really the last of a coherent Sonia that we get. <laughs> she has a conversation with Ramona about, you know, she tells Leah, you just gotta, like, kind of be easy on her. Let her, let her go. Let her give her time. Let her cool down. We'll move on. Like I said, last of the sober-ish Sonia, the coherent Sonia that we get for the rest of the episode. They're walking to stores. She's trying to bring her rosé flights into the store. She is drunkity drunk. She is looking like a, I, I don't know, like... You guys remember in the Summer House recap where I called the early season, where I referred to Luke earlier in the season as like Colonel Sanders, trust fund kid who lives in Williamsburg. Sonia's outfit is giving Colonel Sanders family as well, but she's more like the eccentric spinster. I know that's not a good word, but the eccentric spinster aunt who lives on the Upper East Side. Like there's a moneyed look to her, but it's also very harried and just very strange. So Aunt Sanders, Aunt Sanders, if you will. <laughs> um, they all go to a bar. Sonia tells the bartender that she's just going to order a rosé because two of her girlfriends with her are sober. <laughs> and Leah looks over at her and says, you know, that doesn't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Luann is seemingly over the course of the episode, having a tough time adjusting, even though she invited these girls to a winery, she's sober. So it's not quite, curling over as to why there's a bit of cognitive dissonance here is that she clearly wants to be able to do normal things quote-unquote normal things things that she was doing when she was not sober but be sober in those moments she's also on this fake rosé kick so when she goes to the winery she has a fake rosé bottle in the sprinter she takes it out and at the bar she also brings her fake rosé and is drinking it out of a wine glass. Leah finds that to be possibly not necessarily triggering, but maybe like she's using that as a crutch. Luann says she just wants to be like one of the girls. She doesn't want it to appear as if she can't, like she wants to be sober and she's committed to being sober, but also there is part of her that wants to just look like everybody else. And... I don't feel really equipped to have this nuanced conversation about that. I don't 
have an abusive relationship with alcohol. So I thought that they both had good points, but sobriety is everybody's individual journey. So what might work for Leah's maybe not work for um, Luann and vice versa. Maybe it wouldn't look good or maybe Leah would find in her journey that walking around with a fake bottle of rosé and drinking out of wine glasses might feel like she's got one foot in a past that she doesn't have any business being in. Um, <clears throat> but that might not be the same for Luann. And Luann kind of brought up a great point that I think uh, Leah thought was maybe deflecting, but it wasn't an unfair question because Leah ordered a mocktail and she had it in a typical cocktail style glass. So Le Leah's telling Luann, don't you feel like this is a little too close to your life, not sober. And Luann's looking at her like, it looks like to a person who doesn't know the situation, it looks just as much like you're drinking a cocktail as it does for me. So what's really the difference? And I think Leah's point is that maybe she has had more time sober. So she has more of a handle on it than Leah, that Luann does. I, I don't know. Again, I'm not really equipped to having this conversation, but I did think it was an interesting conversation to have. So after their drinks, the ladies all sit down for dinner. Sonia is absolutely wasted. She starts talking about cancel culture and Ramona. It's as though she's never heard the term cancel culture before. And I want to attribute that to her clearly conservative ties, but I feel like conservatives talk about cancel culture more than liberals do so <laughs> when she overhears them say cancel culture she thinks that they people are literally trying to cancel culture <laughs> like we're we're taking things out of uh the museums ladies and gentlemen like burn your books out on 42nd street culture is being canceled officially <laughs> ebony's having to explain what the term cancel culture means Ramona, Ramona, <laughs> my God. <clears throat> so Sonia does a speech and it really was like a Dorinda level speech where she's slurring the words. She's telling the table, I love Leah. I love Leah and I love Lou. For not drinking. And I wasn't even drinking before. But what happened is I did drink a few times. So I said okay. I'm going to drink. <laughs> then it gets even more dark. Because Ramona decides to play. Um, strict school mom. And it takes Ramona. Excuse me. Ramona takes Sonia's drink from her. Brings it over to her right side, which is right next to Lou. And Luann's like, uh, can you not bring the rosé over to me, please? So she then hands it to Ebony for safekeeping. And um, Sony gets very uh, squirrely, squirrely, if we say. Um, Leah has decided she's got another bone to collect. And now this one is with Heather. So we're off the Ramona didn't donate her plasma for real. And we're on to why is Heather coming over to Ramona's house when she's been talking shit on a podcast about all y'all. Okay. Apparently Luann didn't know what 
Heather had said to her. They had had lunch a few days prior, but she had no idea what what uh, Heather had said on her podcast, which is um, she was outing what happened when they were in St. Bart's season five again classic where they're meeting that Johnny Depp pirate guy and what Heather said was that uh Luann had brought drugs on the trip and that I think she tells a story of what happened with Tomas the French Johnny Depp lookalike that when Heather had gone Heather and Carol had gone back to their resort or their um house early Luann came home last. She came with Tomas. Apparently what happened is that they came into Heather's room and were like, hey, we have a joint. You want to come smoke with us? And so she was like, yeah, cool. Like, I'll do that. And then they brought a, I'm assuming Coke. And she was like, no, that's not that kind of party. Like, I'm going back to bed. So... This was the story that she tells. So she had also said things about, I think maybe Ramona or Sonia, other things about other cast members. And (laughs) Luann's reaction is so fucking funny to me. I, she also said that there was nothing authentic about Luann. Um, Luann gives us some iconic behavior and I love a angry Luann. I've just been having this conversation about how, I think that the Morocco episodes of Roni are not considered as iconic as the Scary Island ones, but they should be. They should be right up there in the Hall of Fame, especially when it comes to cast trips. Luann's behavior. I think there are three to four Morocco episodes. Luann's behavior in episode, I want to say... Three out of the four, iconic. From start to finish, everything she does is flawless behavior. It is so entertaining where she's waiting for Sonia and Ramona, who are drunkenly um, going around the Riyadh to come to dinner and they show up late and she gives them this face like, bitch, I know you're lying. And she says, this is Morocco, not the four seasons. I mean, just guys watch it back season. I think it's season five. It is no, maybe season four. It's season four. So great. The best of that uh, literally could be a best of Luann Delaseps episode. So Luann goes from being very welcoming to having Heather over to finding out what Heather actually said to her. And she's like, you know what? On one hand, my first instinct is to call Heather and tell her that she's uninvited, but I actually think we should let her come and give it to her. Who was she to say that, that bitch? <laughs> love it. Love it. So, Luann then makes a grave mistake of FaceTiming Garth. Flirties, talking about, oh, I can't wait to see you tomorrow. Oh, I'll text you tomorrow. Oh, great idea, blah, blah, blah. Kissy, kissy. Sonia, pissed. She is pissed at this point. She decides to FaceTime some random guy named William who works in some capacity for JP Morgan because he works for Chase Bank and they're, you know, together now. So she's FaceTiming this guy for seemingly no reason. She talks 
she gets off with him, starts talking about how she has connections and how William works for the Morgan family and how, um, with the economy, the stocks are terrible. And she says, the poor are getting poorer and the homeless are getting homelessler. <laughs> and how she did AIDS PSAs years ago and everybody's like, what on earth are you talking about? So then she calls William again. And she is trying to say like, all these girls think I'm drunk. So William, you talk, you talk. So she wants this man to defend her. There's no, there's no reason for it. So Ebony's like, listen, let me take the phone from you and try and translate what it is that, <laughs> that Sonia's trying to say. So apparently William is one of the directors of diversity for Chase Bank. And he has been um, leading up an initiative towards, um, closing the wealth gap with minorities. I think specifically um, African-Americans. So Ebony's like, okay, I am understanding what's being said here. I don't know why we're talking about this now, but I get it. So she gets on the phone with William and is like, oh, I just want to let you know, like, I really love what Chase Bank is doing. I've decided to get my uh, mortgage through Chase Bank because I'm in support of what you guys are doing to that extent. And then Ramona says, well, Wells Fargo has better interest rates. <laughs> and I mean, he says, you're absolutely right. They actually do have better interest rates. However, I enjoy or I appreciate the initiatives that Chase are making to close the wealth gap. So that's why I have chosen to continue and do my business with them. Sonia screaming. Shut the fuck up at Ramona. Shut the fuck up. She starts screaming in Ramona's face about, how are you going to talk about Wells Fargo with my family? That's not my family. How dare you? <laughs> She's crying. She's red-faced. This is a meltdown on behalf of the Morgans that we have not seen before coming out of Sonia. I This is what confuses me. I get that you miss your lavish lifestyle, and I get that there's probably... A part of you that because of your daughter and because of your past relationship, you want to act on camera as if you're still very supportive and loving towards the Morgan family. I get that. Do we need to be saying fuck you right now? <laughs> this is a, a wealth conversation that I will never, I hope to never have. Don't talk about my, about Wells Fargo because I belong tangentially to one of the biggest banks an evil conglomerates in this country. How dare you besperch the, the Morgan name? Oh, honey. You're not even getting money from that family anymore. Give it up, delicious. Give it up. And we'll see what happens in the next episode. Whew. Oh, my, my. All right, let's move on to Beverly Hills. Why couldn't you just be there for her? Why couldn't you just let, it, let the other girls come after I, her? Garcelle? I wish I could, I couldn't, because... You couldn't because you it wasn't had to be honest. right? No, it just wasn't. But so what? I know. Like, why do we have to check each other on being honest or not? It's not about Brandy. No one cares what they did. It didn't seem like that, I know though. it didn't seem like that, It felt but... like you guys were focusing on whether she slept with Brandy does, or not. I know, that doesn't matter. Okay, you guys, let's end the episode by talking about the premiere 
of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, man. It, do I forget, or maybe it's just more egregious with Beverly Hills? They must start every housewife season with the trailer that they show us before the season airs, right? But I feel like I only remember when it happens on Beverly Hills. This, like, uh, like daytime soap opera, what are the lies? What is the truth? Only you'll find out on this season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. The beginning is very Erica-centric and, you know, about all these vague, her giving these vague insights into her divorce and how she thought she would hold Tom's hand until the day he died and how nobody knows the truth. And I'm just, like, already annoyed, okay? Like, I'm just, like... This, Beverly Hills is, like, a fool me once, shame on me situation. I'm at, like... Four. I'm at like the fourth time at this point. The past four seasons, like the Teddy era of Beverly Hills was a flop. You hear me? The Lucy Lucy Applejuice bitch. No ma'am. So I understand that the egg is on my face with regard to continuing to come back to a franchise that I haven't really enjoyed in quite some time. I have managed to let Dallas go, Orange County, Beverly Hills. You really better watch your monochromatic backs because I'm on the brim and you guys are all on very shaky ground with me. Even though this episode was pretty decent, I am guarding my heart because I know that the first episode does tend to be a knockout of the park and... Then the rest of it is just like, why am I here? So I've got my guard up. I've got my hackles up and I'm, I'm walking into this journey tentatively and we'll see what happens. Obviously they're going to lure us in or attempt to lure us in with, oh, what is all that's happening between Erica and Tom? And we all know, I know we all know in our heart of hearts that they're really, it's going to be a go girl, give us nothing season in terms of what we're going to find about, out about Erica and Tom, but I'm going to have fun along the way. They did give us dropping little hints and little, um, you know, just little tastes of what they're doing and how they're going to get their receipts on Erica. I think the feds have already said, or the lawyers have already said, we are going to be watching and picking through this season with a fine tooth comb. And I will say that the editors, if this episode is a, um, you know, what is going to determine the rest of the season, we're going to be getting a lot of editing of what it all, you know, the breakdown of what Erica has been spending. And I'm looking forward to that. I also have a very difficult and stressful relationship with Lisa Rinna because sometimes I feel like she gets the assignment and other times I just find her absolutely aggravating. And I think that I figured out what it is that I personally like about Lisa Rinna. I don't like when she tries to be nice. I don't try, I don't like when she tries to advocate and defend and take up for other people. I want her to just be messy and dramatic on her own. So like her last season going so hard against Denise. Yuck. I hated that. But you know, ask Dorit if she's, if people are doing coke in her bathroom. 
in the middle of dinner. Love it. I love that. (laughs) And that really, you know, speaks to me and where I'm at mentally and emotionally. And that's fine. I understand that I've got, girl, I've got a lot of work to do. I get that. Okay. But I'm part of this podcast is me being honest with you guys. And that's just the, the Rena that I like. That's the Lisa that I prefer. Um, I'll tell you one goddamn thing. The only thing that really hooked me in to this season, obviously Garcelle. But if you thought that for one second, I was not going to get my eyes on Kathy Hilton, you'd be absolutely incorrect. Woo. Wow. (laughs) My instinct was right on that one. Wow. Wow. The This is Paris documentary really gave an insight into a specific type of Kathy Hilton, which is the I'm taking the torch from Big Kathy and being a horrific, terrible, uh, not really active parent sort of stage mom. But now I want to see weird Kathy Hilton. And we got weird Kathy Hilton. And... I am here for it. I'm not here for her. I'm not going to stand Kathy, but Kathy seems like the Beverly Hills equivalent of a woman that you, I, I, I'm going to put I in me. I don't know what it is about me all, but I somehow attract people who feel like I, they think I want to have conversations with them and I don't, but I'm too nice to be rude. And so even though I am afflicted with the resting bitch face, I'm also have this, I give off this thing that's like all the weirdos come to me. I will hear all of your stories. I will hear, I will listen to you talk about your former relationships. I will listen to, you know, this is a safe space to talk about your um, conspiracy theories. Um, You know, a lot of racist things I hear from random people (laughs) that they think it seems to be that they think that there is a safe space for that. And then I just hear a lot of like, oh, okay, this really went left. I would like to move seats, please. Thank you very much. Um, I happen to attract these people and it's like I have the mark of like, you know, those safe space stickers that you see outside of like a, uh, like a fire station. Like that's what seems to happen to me. I seem to attract these types of women who like seem normal and then all of a sudden they're talking about you know, like their inner workings of their bowels. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, okay. I gotta go. You know, these types of people attract themselves. And so I feel like I feel a kinship with Kathy because she very much seems like somebody who has it all together. And then you find out that she thinks this black woman that just walked in is her sister because she doesn't want to wear glasses because, and also she doesn't want to wear contacts because she's afraid to put them in. So she's just walking around Hollywood just blind. Just, just, how do people do that? I don't get it. I don't need glasses. I don't need contacts as of yet. So like, I don't understand how people just walk around needing the assistance of glasses or contacts and just not. It seems scary. It seems scary. Anyway, 
Starting off the episode, Kyle got a nose job and she's pretending like it's in, an injury that she received on the set of Halloween. Next. Erica and Dorit are driving around in uh, Dorit's new McLaren. Erica's in a full-on headscarf and rectangular glasses. Do you guys know who Juno Birch is? Juno is a drag queen um, from... I think she's from... Definitely somewhere in Britain. I don't think she's Welsh, but some area of... Maybe, um, not Brighton, but... Uh, I think maybe, she might be a Geordie. She might be a Geordie, but anyway, the point is, Juno Birch has a very unique look that she does fashion with a rectangular glass and usually a headscarf, and she looked just like her. <laughs> look up Juno Birch, look at that scene of Erica driving in the car with Dorit, and tell me I'm wrong. Just tell me I'm wrong. Um, Erica is beginning her campaign of poor little rich girl, cry with me at my downfall storyline. You know, of course, you know, I had it all on Broadway. You know, I had a New York Times bestselling book and the pandemic took that all away. And I'm just not the type of woman who wants to make sourdough bread. Like the pandemic just didn't work for me. Okay, poor thing. Poor thing. Um, Kyle tells Rena about how Mauricio, um, who she keeps calling Mo, and I don't appreciate that, but apparently Mo and PK are great friends now. The Kemsleys were part of their pod, and I just don't like Kyle and Dorit's relationship. It's sort of like a get a job, go away from her sort of situation on behalf of Kyle. Like, I, Dorit is on a different plane for me. I love her. Okay. Dorit is in an elite team or a club of white queens for me. I love Dorit. Ina Garden, as you know. Um, who else really, really gets it for me? Um, you know, I'm really, I'm really loving Jean Smart lately. I feel like Jean Smart is having a moment. I feel like I like her a lot. Um, Jane Fonda, you know, something like that. Uh, she's in the league of, of extraordinary white women for me. And so I just don't like Kyle with her like gnarled fingers wrapped around all of this like Gucci and Chanel outfits that Dorit is walking around in. I don't like it. And I hope that they have a fight this point this season. Speaking of fights, I love it that there is now a beef between Garcelle, Lisa, and Kyle, meaning Garcelle is not fucking with either Lisa nor Kyle, neither Lisa nor Kyle, and I love it. I love it. She is carrying the torch of her friend Denise and is saying enough, okay? Enough. I'm not fucking with you guys, and I'm going to let you guys know, I loved it. This is a incredible second season, just right out the gate. Um, giving us everything with Garcelle, I, oh, I feel strength. I feel renewed. I feel the blood coursing in my veins, much like when I got the news that Jen Shaw <clears throat> had been arrested. Some, you know, I just feel alive again. And I have no problem saying that. Um, speaking of Garcelle, I love her intro card look. I have to say that all of the ladies' intro cards that I can remember were pretty good. I wasn't crazy about um uh Erica's 
red leather or nylon or whatever, whatever you want to go. What is that material? Like the patent leather, um, dominatrix, like short skirts, uh, sort of corset top. I'm not crazy about that, but I will say, uh, Lisa Rinna looked very chic in with her, like, uh, <clears throat> she, she's got the, the high ponytail for the older woman all figured out. It's not too high. It's not giving like Ramona trying to do, um, you know, like early nineties version, express yourself, Madonna. It's like a throwback sixties glam Valley of the dolls type ponytail. And I think she looks beautiful. And then moving on to Garcelle, she's got this pink and red rose print dress. Pink and red is a hard combination to pull off. She did that. She looks gorgeous. She looks glam and I'm here for it. I loved her intro card look. Um, she is also has revealed that she has a developed a relationship and a friendship with Sutton. And I'm going to tentatively put Sutton on my yes list. She kind of lost me with the, oh, I got a kitchen in the back of my hair too, Garcelle. I got a kitchen because my hair is so curly. But if Garcelle accepts her, then I am tentatively accepting her as well. And yeah, so she's on good standing with me so far. But really, that's really on the strength of Garcelle. I, I have to admit. I, I'm really looking forward to this feud between Crystal and Sutton. I think that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Can't wait. Can't wait. So Erica and Dorit go over to Kyle's house with Lisa. And I just had a thought. They must have been COVID testing, right? Because don't late isn't later in the season that Dorit, Kyle, and Kathy all get test positive. I believe were they giving Kyle those nasal swab, the PCR test with her nose job. Ugh, ugh. One thing about me, you guys, is I. If you talk about a specific injury happening in a particular part of your body, it's like. It's almost like, like I have a feeling I like, I can feel just the, it like hits the area very sensitively. So if you talk about a nose job, my nose feels like, I don't know. It's like a, not a pain, but it's like, I, I can just feel it. I can feel like something in my brain triggers feel weird in that part of your body. So if somebody talks about a nose job or getting punched in the face, my reaction is to hold the bridge of my nose because I just, I get scared <laughs> and I get nervous. Is that weird? Is that weird? Like, you don't know what I'm talking about? Like, have you ever seen a UFC fight where somebody kicks too hard and then one of them ends up breaking the other one's leg and like your initial reaction is just to, like, hold your leg. Like, no, no, please. No, that's what, that's what happens to me all the time. So, I have taken one nasal swab COVID test, bitch, I, no, that was one of the worst things that happened to me over the past year. It was so awful. The 
person who was giving me the test, administering the test was like, stop moving your head back, stop moving your head back. Because in my brain, I was just like, no, 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 this is wrong. This shouldn't be here. It's too far back. I don't like it. It's painful. I don't like it. Nobody's supposed to be up here. And yet here you are invading my space and my navel cavity. And it was like the worst, probably five seconds of my life. Oh, I, oh, I, anyway, let me just like, even thinking about it now, even all this months later, it still like makes my nose feel some type of way. So let me move on. Um, I'm thrilled to announce that I have grown up <laughs> and that I am no longer terrified of Dorit's children. Now hear me out here. I find white blonde children to be terrifying, not white as in Caucasian, although usually they are. I mean, children with like white, white platinum blonde hair. I find them to be scary. I, you know, a little bit like I would see them at the end of the hallway, Victorian ghost children. It just raises my alarms and I just feel very uncomfortable around children who are too, too blonde. That's that's just my my journey in life. It's always been that way and it's never going to change. And like, you know, every child is a blessing. But some of them are not. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um but anyway, I I'm loving the kids now. Their hair has you know, it has gotten a little bit darker and so I find them a little bit less terrifying to look at. And they've also they're like giving us more in this episode. Jagger and Phoenix are giving us more in this episode than Kyle did for sure. They are ready for the camera. They're going down to their little private school in their house. Um, little Phoenix is dressed in a little cute Burberry skirt. She's got two little braids. She's giving us schoolgirl realness, first time in drags. And I, they're just little cuties. They're little cuties. I loved Jagger saying, you know, if I'm not going to go to school today. And mommy, you're not going to get any hugs and kisses from me. Okay. He is a, a wheeler and a dealer, just like his father already. I saw somebody bring up something interesting. Um, there were a lot of people who felt like Dorit saying that the pandemic was pretty easy for them and that they're able to afford a private tutor for their children is um, out of touch and what have you. But this person brought up a great point of there is a difference between Dorit being able to give her children a private education and Erica's storyline, which is, oh my God, I had to leave Broadway two weeks earlier and earlier than I expected when we know that she has basically been coasting being financed on the backs of so many victims. Victims in horrible situations in which they lost their family members and their friends. You know, she's being bankrolled and Mikey's being bankrolled by all of Tom's alleged swindling and scamming. And when you look at it from that point, it's like, yeah, and I've said this before that we there are times where we just have to accept that rich people are rich now it's eat the rich all day for me 
tax the wealthy for sure. But also we can't be so horrified or, or shocked, shocked may be the better word, when rich people do rich people shit, you know? So yeah, it's a privilege that most people don't have to for Dorit to be able to have a private tutor. Absolutely. But I would rather you use your money for the betterment of your child's education than to be buying out all of the, you know, Moschino's spring summer line because you're bored, right? Y'all feel me? (laughs) The scene of the episode, of course, of course, was Garcelle meeting up with Lisa, trying to hash things out. And in a confessional, Garcelle says, it's really difficult for me to meet up with Renner because I don't like her at all. Stan. Stan behavior. It was pure poetry, and I'm sure other people have brought this up, but pure poetry that they both came in monochromatic looks, Lisa in all black, dressed in all black like the Omen, and Garcelle in an all-way outfit. They were both wearing like gold kind of brownish toned shoes. It was perfect. And I almost wonder if production was like, hey, Garcelle, why don't you wear all white? Because clearly you're the good person in this situation. And here's Lisa's evil ass with her pointy hair trying to defend herself. So Lisa knows exactly what she's doing. And Garcelle calls it out as much and says, I think that Lisa's trying to own her shit and what she did with Denise really quickly before I come for her. 100% correct. So Lisa is in a full court press. She's talking about, I know what I did was fucked up. Um, I wasn't there for Denise when I should have been. I don't know why I couldn't do that at the time. But, you know, I've taken a lot of time to self-reflect. And, you know, I just want to apologize to you, Garcelle, because my intention was to never hurt you. And hurt people hurt people. And I was hurting. And so I chose to hurt Denise. And... You know, I went harder on Denise and I should have gone harder, gone on her. And, you know, I should have just done what you did, Garcelle, and stood by our friend because she's an old friend. So for those of you who don't know, the issue is that over the reunion and in the season, Lisa Rinna was one of the first people in line to go after Denise over this whole stupid situation with Brandy. And Garcelle brought up this great point of it really looked like you guys were so focused on whether or not Denise and Brandy hooked up when nobody should care about what they do in the bedroom. That wasn't the issue. And yet you guys took that shit and you ran with it and it was weird. And also you and Denise have a longstanding friendship and you just completely abandoned her for a situation that really had nothing to do with you. Truthfully, like, why did you, why did Lisa do that? And see, this is what I'm saying. Don't hold a torch and try to um, fight a battle that has nothing to do with you. Like, that Denise situation and Brandy had zero to do with Rena. Zero. And so why did she care so much? And so Lisa does try to say... If you had seen the text messages between Denise and Brandy that I saw, you would feel very differently because 
her really only defense is that Denise was not being honest about the extent of her relationship with Brandy and that she saw all these text messages where Denise was saying, Oh, I've only spoken to Brandy three or four times in my life. We're not friends. We don't really fuck with each other like that. I just did her podcast because she asked blah, 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 but we really aren't friends. But Lisa saying, I saw these texts that really displayed that they had a much deeper friendship. But again, okay. You can feel some type of way about that. Because in that case, Denise was lying to you. But also, why does it matter? Like, we all know that Denise fucked up. We all know that Denise tried to downplay her relationship with Brandy for whatever reason. But whatever reason that is, it has nothing to do with the women on the cast. And it probably has more so to do with her marriage. Or maybe she is... I don't know. Maybe she just doesn't want to be that open about her sexuality or whatever. Who cares? If it has nothing to do with any of you guys, let it go. Let it go. Garcelle says, why do you need to, why do we feel the need to check our friends on everything? Great point. And then Garcelle says, um, it just seemed like you guys were so focused on Denise and Brandy hooking up and Exactly. So then Lisa repeatedly refers to herself as a cunt. You know, like I was being a cunt in that situation for sure. I was a cunt, 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 cunt. And Garcelle says, you know, I don't like that word, but I don't disagree. (laughs) Love her. Love her. Um, The next scene is with Erica. And if Erica were not in the situation that she was, people would be calling for her to get off the show immediately. And I get that. But it almost appears as though the federal agent that was tasked with going into Jen Shah's Shah squad inner circle and figuring out all the receipts on her is also on the um, cameraman or the editing or some sort of uh, production side with Beverly Hills as well because they are, it is Danita's Christmas, okay? They're checking lists, checking them twice. They're going through all this inventory of all the clothes in your um, over overflow closet. Um, we're looking at all these uh, camera, pan in, zoom in on all of these Chanel jewelry items. Um, why don't you get a close up on all of these expensive thigh high boots? I want to see um, a designer um, dress over here. I want to see which lines from um the Fiorucci uh fall winter collection that you got um let's just go ahead and just just very slowly go through every item on every one of these racks that you see and I feel like um Mikey I feel like we might see a surprise witness out of Mikey because Mikey was asking all the right questions all the right questions. Hey, Erica, where's the boss today? Where's Tom? How's Tom been dealing with the pandemic? Oh, let's go try on some clothes. Oh, look, I see you've got some new clothes from this line. Interesting. Those are cute. Maybe you can wear those later on the witness stand. Erica starts telling this like, oh, woe is 
Tom's story about how he's doing just as poorly as everybody, every lawyer's doing in the country, how the courts are closed. They just can't wait for things to start opening up again so they can get back to work. And it's like, mm, yeah, so tell us, where is Tom? Where is Tom in this moment? No real explanation. The, Erica hints a lot that she's been alone um, during this whole thing. She's had nobody. And she's really not giving up too much information. But she is, it seems like nobody's really been in contact with Tom. And that's very interesting to me. So then we see Dorit going to Garcelle's house and uh, my goodness, she does it again. <laughs> First of all, I just want to say that I would like to live in a world in which I'm coming down a gorgeous staircase and Dorit is at the bottom saying, baby girl at me. I would just love that. I feel like I would really feel very heartened and warmed by that. But anyway, Garcelle is not done reading the fuck out of Kyle. <laughs> And I love it. <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for somebody to be able to, because we've got a lot of Vanderpump being shady towards Kyle. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's cute sometimes. But this shit is petty. And I love it. I've always been very neutral, bordering on annoyed with Kyle. There really has never been a moment where I fully supported her or stand her behavior. Kyle's just very, like, whatever to me. But if anything, I just don't like her. Um, but I can tolerate her. So seeing somebody be expertly petty and shady towards Kyle is just like, ugh, love it, love it. So Garcelle shows, um, Dorit, did you notice that I have this um, little fish tank over here? This gorgeous fish tank and it's got two fish in it and you see this like beautiful black and white speckled um just like gorgeous print uh fish that one um I named that one Dorit because it's so fabulous and pretty and gorgeous and fun and then you see this like basic ass pet smart um carnival I got it in a plastic bag for a dollar fifty goldfish um that one's named Kyle <laughs> and in a confessional Garcelle says why is Kyle a gold goldfish well it's ordinary <laughs> work <laughs> work I love it then she just smiles and I love it so much I just mm, ugh, just like a, a hot cup of coffee on a cold winter's morning I loved it I loved every moment of it um Dorit and Garcelle have a conversation about whether or not Garcelle should trust Lisa because after this conversation, Lisa kind of was like, you know, I want you to be able to trust me again. I want us to be able to have a friendship. I want us to be able to start forward. And this is why Dorit is doing it all right. She is being a good friend to both Lisa and Garcelle in this moment. She's not trying to make enemies out of them. She's being honest, but fair. And so she's telling Garcelle, listen. I fully understand how you feel. You have every right to be concerned or to want to take some time with regard to trusting Rina again and bringing her into your circle. 
I've had the same issues with Lisa. Um, and it took time for me to trust her too. And so Garcelle says, well, do you trust her now? And Dorit's like, I do. <laughs> and Garcelle was like, listen, I noticed a little hesitation to say yes on that. And she's like, no, I just, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying because we had our own issues, but I do feel like with me specifically, Dorit, Lisa did the work and I think that she's going to do the same for you to do what it takes to actually earn that trust back. And I think you guys are going to be friends. Loved that. Loved it. So then we see Kyle and Lisa go to new housewife Crystal Kung Minkoff's home. This has to go down in history as the most long-winded on-camera um, explanation and introduction into our newest housewife that I've ever in my recollection can remember. I mean, convoluted. So they're in the car. Uh, Kyle says that she has a long-standing relationship with Children's Hospital of LA and that Crystal is heading up some sort of toy drive that Crystal knows Kathy, her sister. And so Kyle's going to be dropping off these toys. She was going to drop them off at Kathy's house, but it's easier because she lives closer to Crystal to just drop it off at Crystal's house. Even though she has never met Crystal and Lisa's never met Crystal, they're going to drop these toys off at the house. We really could have shortened this all up and said, Hey, um, my sister knows this lady. She works for the hospital or she works for this, you know, charity part of the hospital. And I'm going to just drop things off. We didn't have to go into the, like, it's easier for me to go to Crystal's house. It's blah, blah, blah. Just, just go over to the house, girl. Just go over there. <laughs> I hated that. It was so long winded and exhausted. So we get to Crystal's home. And I just loved her immediately. I thought she was completely, it felt like she was completely comfortable on camera. She was confident. She's tall. She's beautiful. She's young. And she is almost bordering on intimidating in the sense of she just seems like she just is inherently a confident, strong woman. And I like that. I like it. But I could definitely see why. <laughs> Um, Lisa and Kyle acted towards her that the way they do, the way they did. Lisa does this shit, this like fake LA. Wow. At everything that Crystal was saying, like, you are so tall, girl. Wow. Look at you. Wow. Look at this house. Wow. Your library. This is fabulous. Blah, blah, blah. Like, girl, we don't need to do this. <laughs> we don't need to work that hard. I, I, okay. Her, she's got money, girl. The Minkoffs have fucking money. They've got that Disney money. Rob, her husband, was the director of a little thing called The Lion King. Ever heard of it? Damn. The money must be so long. Oh my God. Can you imagine being the director of such an iconic movie? Oh, oh, they must have so much money. Oh, God bless. 
<laughs> this is what we needed. We need people on Beverly Hills. If you guys are going to, Andy Cohen, going to present this franchise as the fantasy franchise in which the pull for the show and for these particular women is that they have major, major money. Give us this. I want Disney money. Thank you. Next season, we better see a fucking, um, just, I, I want to see Melinda Gates, okay? <laughs> I want to see a post-divorce Melinda Gates situation. Yo, what the fuck is happening with Bill and Melinda? Girl, let me not. Girl, girl. Okay. Um, what, I, girl. <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? The Bill was out here in these streets having naked thought parties out here like he's Rick Ross. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, so I loved Crystal right away, sitting the ladies down and giving them a... Uh, you know, insight into her Chinese culture and how she raised kids and how, you know, uh, in the culture, having a son is so important and the number eight is so important. So she had a son, her first kid was a son and how big of a deal that was for the family and how, when she was giving birth to her daughter, it was seven twenty, and she was like, Oh no, bitch, no doctor. I'm going to be holding on to my pelvic floor until it, reaches eight o'clock and she had that baby right at eight right when the clock struck eight o'clock she had it just because it's such an important number in the Chinese culture love it I love a woman who can um shout out to an incredibly strong and resilient pelvic floor um give us insight into her culture that we don't typically see on television um show us that she's got fuck you money forever and um you know talk about her her husband that she has a significant um uh age difference with now her husband started talking to uh Kyle and Lisa about how he moved to LA and Lisa was like oh what year and he was like very embarrassed to say that he had moved to LA like 40 years ago <laughs> it, but you know what out of all the franchises who who in Beverly Hills has the right to be at all critical of the fact that they met when Crystal was 20? You know? Erica, I know your ass isn't going to say anything, so thank you. Anyway, um, 
So Kyle invites Crystal to a barbecue that Dorit's going to have. They're all going to have this like fancy dress up barbecue. Let's put on, you know, our finest because we haven't been able to dress all year and super, super glam. Dorit <laughs> comes out almost like very Christmas chic. Seems like something Mariah Carey would mar- wear during like an All I Want for Christmas is You special. Um, a red, shiny, you know, uh, almost kind of like Diane von Furstenberg sort of rap dress situation. Um, Jagger roasts the hell out of her and is like, Mom, I don't think you look that good. <laughs> And then he tells her that her dress looks like a robe. And then Phoenix screams, I can see your boobies. Why would you wear that? <laughs> and I love them. They're cuties. Um, Erica comes up in a John Batista Valley for H&M dress. Um, tool, pink, pink, pink. Lisa shows up in that same blue and green Versace, almost like J-Lo print uh, suit that Jen Shaw wore when they went to Vegas and she pushed Heather into a door. Um, looking even more like an evil villain scammer, she looked like the Joker. Rinna honestly looked like the Joker. If, uh, I don't, what is the, is that Marvel? Is the Joker Marvel? I'm just going to pretend like it is. Don't, you don't have DC. Honestly, I don't know. But it looked like if they did like a Marvel or DC for Versace, that's what Lisa Rinna looked like. Can we just give two claps for Sutton for having her second season glow up? She has started to transition out of this like steel magnolias chic look and into something a little bit more fresh, a little younger. I noticed her hair seemed a lot less mother of a pageant girl, um, and just like younger and fresher and lighter. And it seems like she just didn't seem so heavy. It, it like the white diamonds fragrance wasn't quite permeating through the screen like it did last season. And I love that. I think Sutton seems to have a much more bubbly and fun personality than her look gave us last season. So I'm excited to see what she gives us. Now, was she dressed like a flapper um, going to a Kentucky Derby? Yes, but that's still better than what she gave us all of last season. And I stand by that. Crystal is neck and neck with Garcelle with the confessional shade. She is like, wow. She shows up with Kathy. She's dressed in all black. And she's like, I, wow. These women are um, uh, really loud with their outfits. And then she says, you know, I tried to dress a little bit more conservatively because I see my older girlfriends try and look young. And it's embarrassing for them. <laughs> and then the editors cut to this conversation in which Lisa Renna is repeatedly saying, you can borrow this outfit. You can borrow this outfit. You can take this suit. And Crystal's like, mm, I think to be able to fit into that, I would have to like stop eating and drinking anything, first of all. And also like, no, I would never wear that anyway. Okay. <laughs> so y'all. Kathy Hilton fucking killed me because Garcelle walks in gorgeous pink 
suit, like a hot pink suit, matching mask. Garcelle walks in and the first thing Kathy says was, I thought you were Kyle. I thought you were my sister. <laughs> and everybody's like, mm, okay, gonna let that one go except for Dorit. So then they cut to a conversation that Dorit and Kathy are having and Dorit says, your eyes are pretty bad, huh? <laughs> What did you see that made you think that Garcelle was Kyle? And she's like, oh, you know, I just saw like the the hair and the pink and the mask. <laughs> and Dorit says, do you have contacts? And Kathy says, well, yeah, but I'm afraid to put them in. And so then Crystal says another shady thing about how in Hollywood, you know, a lot of people know people. And so if you don't know people, then they might not be people worth knowing. And the producer says, so do you know who Dorit is? And Crystal goes, no. <laughs> and just stares. And I love it. I love it. I I miss the days of, it's giving maybe shades of Camille where she, Crystal clearly feels like there is a a tiered system, a hierarchy in Hollywood. She's obviously in the very inner circles. <laughs> and uh Dorit is not. And she she wants to let them know. I as excited as I am for a very obvious Crystal and Sutton beef I'm looking forward to maybe shades of 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 shade between Dorit and Crystal I could be here for that even though I like both of them so then Kyle and Mauricio show up late Mauricio is going to be going off with PK to party and leave Kyle with the girls I have to admit that I am you know, I'm pretty conservative in my attraction to Mauricio. Like, I've always found him to be a, an incredibly good-looking man. But something about his, like, L.A. stoner scumbag outfit that he was wearing with the gray blazer and the hat and the dog tag necklace and the, like, just two buttons unbuttoned in the... um on his shirt. Not in, a, like, a mic way from... um Shaz of Sunset, but just like in a very subtle, we're just giving a whisper, right? Just a whisper of a man titty, just a whisper of a chest hair. I thought it was so hot, you guys. This is the best that Mauricio has ever looked. And I'm about to say something that I am going to regret saying, I'm already regretting. Um, I found <laughs> Kristen Takesman's husband to be attractive. And I know that everybody was like roasting him about that hat that he would wear everywhere, but I found it to be hot. And I know he was doing like a little bit of a hat fish because he has, you know, just a, a very uh, tenuous hair situation, almost like a Tom Girardi, but I found the hat to be hot. I thought he looked much better with it. And this attraction is carrying over to Mauricio, I have to admit. I thought it was, I thought Mauricio looked very sexy, sexier than ever. Like, I don't need the, you know, abs working out, just coming in from the pool. Hi, honey. Um, Mauricio, I like just like 
you know, he's got a little bit of a whiskey belly. He's got a little bit of a munchy belly. Um, I, I think he's sexy. I think he's sexy. Anyway, um, where am I going with this before I get too far? Okay, Kathy is me. Crystal and Kathy had a conversation on the way to the party about how they're both eaters and how they both hope that there is actual food at this barbecue. Now, what we get is a Polly Pocket editions of barbecue food. There are sliders. There are pigs in a blanket. There are, uh, I think I saw some caviar at some point. Kathy has got a mouthful of a pig in a blanket and it's just like, where's the food? Where's the food? <laughs> Love it. Where's the real food, bitch? Because this pig in a blanket isn't working. So all the women sit down. Lisa invites them to Lake Tahoe because she's got a house there. Everybody's so excited. Except for Kathy. Well, Kathy is excited, but her response is, should I bring my scissors and dental tools? And my first thought is, did I miss something? And it turns out I both did and didn't. So Kathy in a confessional... (laughs) tells us that when she was little she would gather up all the little children in the neighborhood and do dental work on them against their will (laughs) and then they show an old picture of the sisters on screen now it was a very young child age kathy no excuse me child age kim and kyle and kathy who looked very much well into her teens Um, so then Kathy continues and she says that she would make Kyle and Kim be her dental assistants and they would have to hand her tools and that the neighborhood kids would try to protest, but Kathy would tell them that if they wanted to come back over to their house and play at some point in the future, that they would just let her do it. Now I need the ages. Let me look up the age difference between Kyle and Kathy. So it's okay. Kim and Ka- Kim and Kathy are six years apart. Kathy is six years Kim's senior, and Kathy is ten years. Excuse me, Kyle senior. So for this to be true, we would have to say that. Let's say Kyle was like five or six or even seven at this point, that would put Kathy at a 15 to 17 year old (laughs) when she was doing this. (laughs) Um, Because if Kathy was 10, it would not be possible for Kyle to even remember this because she would not have been born or she would have been an infant. So for Kyle to even be able to remember this, Kathy would have been a teenager for this to have happened. If Kyle was a kid, Kathy would have been well into her teens. So a teenage Kathy terrorizing children and using her own child sisters to carry out this torture of forced dental care. (laughs) It's weird enough if she was even 10 or 12. It's even more strange that she must have been in high school when she was, wow. (laughs) Wow. I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) 
this is like an evil villain origin story, the likes of which I have never seen or heard of before. Wow. Wow. And so I just want to say that I think that maybe Kathy Hilton has some bodies somewhere in the canyons. If we could check Laurel Canyon, if we could check a couple of the first properties that Rick Hilton sold and broke ground on, I just think we might get some answers to some questions. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And then also, if that wasn't enough, the hits keep coming with Kathy who keeps talking about how she hung out with Dorit. Dorit. Yeah, me and me and Dorit hang out all the time. Her name is Dorit. Her name is Dorit. Oh, God. I'm so... I, you know, it just feels like when you knew that you... We've all been calling the name of Kathy Hilton to join the ranks of the Beverly Hills Housewives. And um, I don't think anybody was prepared for all of this so soon in episode one. <laughs> Because Kathy, excuse me, Kyle and Kim really over the years and over the past seasons have spoken about Kathy as though she's the elite older sister. She's got it all together and that they're constantly pitting Kathy against one or the other of them when the other one gets into a fight. Famously, um, Kim telling uh, that, telling Kyle that Brandy is a better friend or sister to her or more of a sister to her um, and like Kathy than she is. And wow, to find out that like this is the woman that they have been pitting each other against as though she's the adult in the room. <laughs> Choices. Choices. This was a, a, a box that I did not anticipate the it, its contents. And I'm here for it. I'm really here for it. Um, so we end the episode of Lisa asking everybody about the highs and the lows of the pandemic. All the women, I have to admit, are being pretty transparent about, you know, their depression, their anxiety, loneliness, being isolated from their kids, but also the benefits of having more time with their children um, and having more times with their family and, and being, you know, recognizing and understanding that they would have never had this sort of quality time with their kids if it weren't for the world shutting down. And then Erica answers and she starts talking about how things got very dark for her about how when she came home from New York, things were really silent and she was just walking the halls of the house because she didn't have anything else to do. And every day she would, dread the fact that she even woke up and she went to a psychiatrist and that she didn't want to. She thought it was like a defeatist sort of thing, but she went on Lexapro and she says, my problems are still there, but I just handle them and I deal with them differently now. Um, so then Erica in a confessional ends it in saying that most of the women don't know about her personal life and how everyone has problems, but the bigger life is, the bigger your problems are. And that is intentional foreshadowing. And I hope that that's not all that we get. It's just this like vague foreshadowing shit. I know that all the women except for Erica were on Watch What Happens Live that night of the premiere. And Andy said it was because Erica's not doing any press, but then 
a day or two maybe later, she posted on Instagram a picture that was reminiscent of um of uh that scene from American Horror Story Coven, which the lady is on the cross being burned and she yells out Balenciaga, but it's an animation where it's actually Erica screaming that and the caption was scapegoat. So you don't want to do press, but you do want to do these like vague posts on Instagram. Okay. 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 All right. Well, we'll see you guys. We'll see. With that, you guys, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Thank me for speaking. Love you.